today we are free. And, you know, I don't know if you know this, but I learned a lot failing English grammar in fourth grade, and I got held back. So, and since then, I've studied a bunch of different languages. I lived in Japan. We studied Japanese. When I was in ninth grade, uh, my family's all Cajun crazy people, so I thought, oh, I'll go study French. Well, come to, come to find out the French that they speak in Louisiana is nothing <laughs> like that European stuff. And so... Anyway, I studied French, and, uh, and then I studied Greek when I was in Bible college. Uh, and then I moved to Ukraine, and uh, I, I studied uh, Russian for a year and a half. And Russians like Chinese and Arabic. You don't ever quit studying. It's just a big language, and you keep on learning. I took two years of Spanish when I was in high school. I love languages. I learned a lot about language. But I learned more about English studying foreign languages than I did failing English in, in regular school. So here's what I learned, that uh, words mean things. Words mean things. And you, if you pay attention to what God is saying through the music and through his word, he tells us we have grace for today, that we are free from sin. We're not captive, and we'll talk about that here in just a little bit. We're not captive to the desires and the results of those desires, we are free. And so I'm going to give you something this morning that will help you that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. This is free. The biggest difficulty with the Christian life today is this. You know why it's so hard? Because we forget who we are. People have these voices in their head, and trust me, you're not crazy. It's your own voice. It's your own voice that's been perverted by the devil. He's tricked you into talking to yourself in bad untruths. And you continue to say things about yourself that are absolutely not true because they've been remedied by the blood of Jesus Christ. You remember grace today and grace for eternity? Listen, this is what you need to say to yourself, and we'll talk about it here in just a little bit in the Scriptures. You need to tell yourself, I am a child of God. I'm an heir to the throne. I have been redeemed and set free from the cause of sin, from the curse of sin, and from the penalty of sin. Therefore, I do not have to participate in sin. I am free. And when you feel a desire or a temptation or a compulsion or some kind of a, uh, somebody trying to get you to do something that you don't feel like you ought to be doing, you say, no, not only do I not want to do that, but I don't have to do that. I'm not bound by that. Chains. This little bracelet I'm wearing says Breaking Chains and Building Lives, manoffreedom.com. You know what breaking chains is for us? Breaking the chains of modern-day slavery in human trafficking. But it also has a spiritual connotation. Jesus Christ broke the chains of bondage that we are bound with by our father, the devil. And we have a new father. And we have hope for today and hope for tomorrow. We have grace sufficient for today so that we can get up and go through life and do what it is uh, that God requires for us to honor Him and glorify Him every single day. And we have grace for the future. Now, back to grammar school. You know what the difference between a noun and a verb is? Right? A noun's kind of a person, place, or thing, something you can touch or hold with your hand, kind of a thing, most of the time. It has some exceptions. Everything has exceptions. And then, but hope is also. Hope is a noun, but hope is also a verb. It's something that you can have, 
and it's something that you can do. So when God gives us hope, he wants us to act on what we have in our hands. And the Bible says that faith is something that you can't really see, you can't really, you can't really hold it in your hands, but it is something that because of the promises of God, it's as tangible as if you'd already been there. So God wants us to hope on his promises. In other words, actively be counting on, depending on his promises for the grace that he's already promised us. And he wants us to hold this thing. He wants us to be actively, like an action verb, right? He wants us to be actively participating in hope. Why? Because we have something, hope, that we can hold in our hand. And that hope is in Jesus Christ and in him alone. And so that was all free. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about. I just noticed... I just noticed in that song, and it strikes me every day, you know, um, everybody, every Christian has something that they just really focus in on like a laser, and for me, it's grace. I don't have any idea why God chose me, and I definitely don't have any idea why he chose you, and you're probably asking the same question, and that's okay. This is the biggest thing you need to know. I don't understand all that. I don't understand how God's sovereign and how he uses us to choose. I, I, don't, I don't understand any of that. I do know this, so it's a fact. God showed me his grace because he loves me. And he wants me to do that for the rest of my life for everybody else I run into. It's that simple. There's no rocket science. Love God. Love other people. Be gracious. Be compassionate. Be tender. And don't forget where you came from. You know, it's that easy. All right, so I told the Sunday school class this morning, open your Bibles anywhere you like. It's all good. Uh, But we're going to start this morning, uh, after I describe a little bit of what Manor Worldwide is all about, uh, we're going to start in the book of Romans. And so you can find that place and hold that. Then we'll be in Psalm chapter 82 uh, a little bit later. But before we get there, let me tell you just a little bit uh, about... Manor Worldwide and what that, what that means. Uh, my family and I were serving as church planning missionaries in Ukraine uh, years and years ago. And this organization, we'll get to the story of how we got together a little later, but this organization came alongside us and started working with us. And what had happened was the founder and the president, his name is Bruce O'Neill, his wife is Pam, and they were serving in the same capacity in Manila in the Philippines. They were church planning missionaries. And what had happened was every Sunday when they walked out of their church and God had blessed their ministry tremendously, they had multiple church plants around the city of Manila led by national pastors. But when they walked out of their church down the sidewalk, there were children and women who were begging for pesos. That's the currency of the Philippines. They were begging for pesos so that they could get enough bread to eat for the day. And Bruce wasn't there for compassion ministries. He wasn't there for humanitarian aid. That wasn't what he originally went to the Philippines for. He was also in Japan for a number of years. Um, But that's not why he was there. But he was brokenhearted. He and his wife were brokenhearted about the suffering of these children and most of these single mothers that were with them begging for sustenance for one day. And out of that brokenheartedness, God moved them to begin just out of their own pocket, and they committed to feed and care for medically and provide education for 10 children. 
And that's a good thing. They needed that, and that's what they felt like God wanted them to do. And so that's what they started doing. It didn't have anything to do with ministry in their minds at this point. So they started feeding and caring for 10 kids. And they did that for about two and a half months. And at the end of that two and a half months, they had 250 people coming to a feeding medical education program. And those people came to Bruce and said, aren't you a Bible teacher? He didn't start it as a ministry. He didn't start it as a ministry outreach. It wasn't a church plant or a mission point. He started it because he was brokenhearted for people who were suffering and wanted to make a difference. And God turned the situation, and those people came to him and said, aren't you a Bible teacher? Would you teach us the Bible? Now there, check this out. How many times do you guys come to church in a week? What, how many days? Twice, twice a week? They were going to church seven days a week. They started a Bible study that was involved with a community outreach program that everybody was participating in. So there's 250, close to 300 people meeting seven days a week, and they're studying the Bible seven days a week. That's pretty cool. So people started trusting Christ. They started developing a relationship with God through what they knew and discovered about Jesus Christ on the cross. Philippines is a Catholic nation. They know who Jesus is. They just don't understand grace. Remember we were talking about grace? The difference is do and done. Every religion in the world can be broken into two categories. Do, which is every other religion in the world besides Christianity. You have to do something in order to get something. Christianity is done. We do everything that we do not to get something, but because we have already received. Right? Do and done. And so these people ask Uh, Bruce to teach the Bible, people are getting saved. And then he started identifying national leadership. And then they started meeting together regularly on Sunday mornings and developing kind of a formalized situation, started sending out missionaries, started taking up tithe and supporting their pastors, started looking awful lot like a church. So what'd they do? They formed a church. And they did that over and over and over again in the Philippines And figured out pretty quick, God's doing something much, much bigger than just the Philippines. And so they formed, came back to the States and started the organization called MANA Worldwide. MANA is an acronym. It stands for Meals and Nutritional Needs Abroad. It also has a spiritual connotation from the Old Testament, bread from heaven, MANA. We're feeding children. That was the way we started feeding children. So bread from heaven, spiritual food and physical food, manna. So the organization was created, and then he started reaching out to find out where he could help the most desperate, the most severely suffering children in communities around the world. He went to Panama. Then he went to North Africa. Then he went to Ukraine. And we were connected together, and that's where this story starts. Sixteen years ago, the organization was able to begin feeding 10 children, and I'm glad to say and proud to say that God's done a tremendous work through us around the world and through our partner churches and businesses, individuals that sponsor and partner with our organization. So we've grown from feeding 10 kids to today we'll feed more than 14,000 children every single day in our feeding programs in more than 42 countries in 162 different locations around the world, and we've expanded. um, Now, unfortunately, the acronym has to stay, Meals and Nutritional Needs Abroad, but we're much, much bigger than just a feeding program um, because what we figured out is that if you feed someone, 
and they are dependent upon that, that they will remain dependent upon that, and you're actually handicapping them for the future unless you provide other opportunities for them to grow out of that, unless you develop an environment in their community where they can break this cycle of poverty generationally, you're going to have poverty-stricken people having poverty-stricken children, which continues generationally forever and forever. And so what we did is we focused on community development through the local church. And what this does for the ministry of the gospel for evangelism for the church is it makes the church a beacon of a lighthouse in that community that says we're real, we're serious about what we're talking about, and we genuinely love you and care for you, and we're willing to sacrifice to make sure that you understand that. And then spiritual conversations ensue, and that's why we do what we do. But uh, the organization is now uh, focused on uh, water filtration, uh, water, will, uh, water well drilling for the long term, uh, schools uh, and education, uh, medical clinics, uh, human trafficking prevention by building homes, orphanages and family type homes all over the world. Um, and so now we're at a position where we're able to, in small micro communities all over the world, we're able to break the cycle of poverty and permanently transform the financial and physical situation in the lives of these small communities all over the world. And it's all done through the local church. The organization has a gospel focus. We believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is what people need all over the world. That's the most important thing. Unfortunately, when you live in abject poverty and you are suffering and your children are dying, the perception is that the most important thing for me is bread for today. And of course, if you can't live through today to hear the gospel, then it's not much good to anybody. And so we focus on both. And you will hear a little bit more about this, about how Jesus showed us how to do this. Uh, we'll hear a little bit about that tonight when, when we speak. But um, that's why we do what we do uh, all over the world is because we want to demonstrate not only the love of Christ and the message of Christ, but the touch of Christ and uh, help people to understand that we really do care about you, we love you, and we're sincerely going to spend every effort to try to raise you out of this life circumstance so that you can be free enough in your perception of what's most important that you can ask the questions that you need to ask about your relationship with God, about your eternity, about spiritual things, and that's what we do all over the world. And so um, take your Bibles, if you would, for just a second. And there's a couple of really good reasons why we do what we do all over the world. Um, and tonight, we'll talk about the, the, main, uh, the main reason why we do that. But uh, they are manifold reasons. There's many reasons why we do what we do. They're all biblically based. Our organization is a faith-based organization. We're a 501c3, a nonprofit organization recognized by the federal government. But... We're a faith-based organization and gospel-centered. Everything that we do is for the kingdom of God, for the glory of God, and for the advancement of the kingdom through the gospel. That's what we do. We plant churches. We grow churches through all of these programs that we've been talking about. So why do I personally feel like this is so important, especially in the lives of children uh, who don't understand what mom and dad is all about? what family is all about, what God's design is all about. Well, once again, it's in a lot of our songs. 
we sing about it all the time, but I don't think that we take the time to stop and realize what we're really saying. And we've read these scriptures probably before, but I don't think we take the time to grasp what that means for me personally, what that really, really means. Uh, The reason why the work that we do for me personally is so important is because I believe it reflects the heart and the character of God for those who are suffering, especially for those who are fatherless in the world today. And he wants us to actively participate in what he's trying to accomplish in demonstrating his love for those children who have no parents or don't understand what biblical family is all about. And that applies to us. Let me show you how. Look at Romans chapter 8, if you would. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 14. The Bible says it this way, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. John 1.12 puts it this way, But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the what? Sons of God of God. Do you realize what we're talking about? How many in here have been adopted? Everybody in the room should have your hand up. Everybody in the room should have your hand up. Listen, you were not designed for this world. You may have a passport, but your real passport has a citizenship mark that's never been seen on this planet. You were designed for heaven and God's glory. And your citizenship as a saved person, as a Christ follower, your citizenship is in heaven. That's why God uses in the scripture the word for what we're supposed to be doing down here, ambassador. You know what an ambassador is, right? The ambassador from the United States to the United Nations was who? Bolton, right? The guy with the crazy gray hair. So ambassador is someone who represents another kingdom in a foreign land for the purpose of creating goodwill between the two nations. That's what we're here for. Your citizenship is not planet earth. Your citizenship is the kingdom of heaven forever. And that's what your spiritual passport says. And so I'm going to talk to you right now about why we are in this position that we're in right now. Many of you didn't know that you two people in the room raised their hand and said that they were adopted. Well, that may be true on planet Earth. You may have paperwork that says that I uh, don't live with my birth parents, that I was raised by somebody else. But that's true in a spiritual perspective as well. Look at Romans chapter 8. You are... Now, don't get offended, girls. I know it says sons of God. It means daughters, too. You are the children of God. How did you get to become the sons of God? How did you get to become the daughters of God? Well, I'll put it to you this way. The Bible tells us that, you know, there's this narrative that you hear sometimes that says, oh, we're all the children of God. So just love everybody. Well, that feels real good to say it, but it's just not true. We're not all the children of God. We're all the creation of God. But until you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the Bible says it's a pretty antagonistic relationship. He uses the word enemy. We're not the children of God. 
We're the enemies of God until we're redeemed, atoned for, and adopted by him and taken from our father, the devil, is what Jesus said, and placed into the family of God, and our father becomes God, Jehovah. And so look at Romans chapter 8, verse number 14. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. We were born in sin. Remember the song? You were born in bondage in the shackles of sin chained to your family and your father, the devil, just like I was. Don't be offended. It's just the way we were born. David said, I was born in sin, and in sin, uh, in my mother's womb, right, I was born in sin. From the womb, we were born in sin. There's nothing you can do about it. We reinforced that idea when we were born, and then we did bad stuff. So we're born in sin, and then we commit sin. So it's a double whammy. We're locked into the bondage of sin. But God adopts us and makes us his own children. So you are not bound in this bondage and in this fear that comes from the devil. But you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So that's important for me because it helps me to establish my identity. You remember I was talking earlier about those voices that you hear in your head that help you to make mistakes, right? Help you to make bad choices because you forget who you really are. I know who you know that 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 you know who you were in the past, but you got to know who you are today. You are not that same person. You're not that same girl. You're not that same man. The Bible says we are new creatures. He has made us new. And the reality is our identity is not what we think about ourselves. Our identity is not wrapped up in what people say about us or think about us or tweet about us. Our identity is wrapped up in the truth of God's Word, in the truth of the relationship, the hope and grace relationship that He's given us. He has made us His own children. So next time you get in trouble, next time you get depressed, next time you get angry, next time you get bitter, next time you get sarcastic and cynical, think these things. Think on these things. Remember that? That's a verse. Man, the Scripture's full of good stuff that just helps us to remember that we've got these wacky voices in our head. We need to just expunge those, just flush those out. Renew a right spirit in me, David said. Renew this mind of Christ in me. Help me to remember the truth. Speak truth to yourself. I am a child of God, adopted by Him, redeemed from the world, given hope for today and grace for the future and grace for eternity. And because I'm solid standing on this identity as a new person, I'm a child of God, I'm a son of God, I'm a daughter of God, I know that I can accomplish miraculous and spiritual and eternal things, not only in my life, but in everybody's life that I come into contact with because the Spirit of God lives inside me. He's made me His temple, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? God lives in you. He not only adopted you, but He enabled you and empowered you and called you to go and do things that you've never been able to do before. He's made us His children. 
and he's made us his ambassadors. He wants us to remember that he has adopted us. He went way out of his way. You know, adoptive parents sacrifice a lot in their lives to get to the place where they can even take the children in, and then they have to work with those children because a lot of times there's a lot of baggage, and they have to deal with all of those things. God went a long way and worked really hard to get to the place where he could offer us adoption. Many of those who are adopted really don't have a choice. They're so young that they don't really understand what's going on, and they're thankful later for the grace of those parents. But God says, listen, it's all your choice. I offer you adoption. Do you want it or not? He offers us this gift of eternal life and a permanent son-daughter relationship with the Father because he's adopted us. Now turn your Bible over to Psalm chapter 82. So, if you didn't know it before today, now you do. You are adopted. Congratulations. It's good to know. So, this struggle with grammar comes into a lot of stuff that I talk about because I was really bad at it. I failed English. I mean, how do you do that? But, um, you know, I've heard in... Uh, in mission conferences. I've been in mission conferences, and maybe you've had it here before. I don't know. Don't be offended. I'm just saying this is just my experience, where they make a banner, and it says, pray, give, or go. That's fair, right? Except there's a problem. Conjunction, junction. What's your function? Everybody that saw Schoolhouse Rock is singing that in their head, right? Listen, the problem is the conjunction is not biblical, God never said, I can't find it. Maybe you can correct me. It's just me. I can't find in the scriptures for the Christian follower, for the Christ follower, I can't find the choice. Well, you can do this or this or this. Pick one. That's not what it says. The Bible says, are we all supposed to pray? Raise your hand if you think we're all supposed to pray. And let me redefine this a little bit. Missions is not just what I do. Missions is what all of us do because we have all been given the ministry of reconciliation. God gave the Great Commission to every single one of us, not just to the vocational ministers. So there's no or in there. There's no choice. This is not a buffet. God said, listen, I want you to pray. Now, let me ask you this. Did God say give? Is every, everybody that thinks you're supposed to give in some regard back to the kingdom of God and through the local church, who thinks you're supposed to do that? we got some work to do, brother. (laughs) Everybody's supposed to pray. Everybody's supposed to give and go. Now, there's where we lose about 90% of the crowd. Because everybody said, no, you're you're built, see, you're slim and fast, and you you, you can speak different languages. You can go. Me, I couldn't go. I'm a cowboy, you know. I'm... I I, uh, I I put cattle boluses and we spray for flies and you know brangus and that's what I do. Or I'm a law. You know, I don't. I'm a lawyer. I work behind. You know, I'm in the courtroom. Or I'm a plumber. Don't confuse your vocation with your purpose. Your purpose is to glorify God by making disciples. So pray. Ask God to give you strength and others around you. Give so that we're not pulling the sled alone. And then go. And now go doesn't necessarily mean you have to go to Africa or Eastern Europe, although I would like that. Go means go wherever God leads you. 
Missions is introducing people and reconciling people to God wherever you are. That's missions. Missions is not over there. Missions is not foreign. We confuse it by sticking foreign on the front of missions. Missions is missions. Missions is introducing people to God wherever you are. Why? Because we're adopted. Why? Because we have a grace story that causes us to be grateful to tell other people that story. So go and do this. This is what the Bible says real quick, and boy, am I out of time. Psalm chapter 82. Watch this. Here we go. Grammar again. Action words. Listen for the action verbs that God tells us as individuals and as a church to be involved in when he's talking about children who have no parents, children who have no father. This is the command of God. This is what he wants us to do. Now, I've seen lots of hashtags, right? Hashtag orphans. Hashtag no more, you know, no more orphans. Uh, uh, hashtag save the children. But tweeting that or making a poster board and holding a sign up doesn't actually change the life of that child that's suffering today. God wants us to not just be aware, and he doesn't just want us to be an advocate. God wants us to be a warrior, a soldier, stepping in between evil and those children and evil that would destroy them and becoming the warrior that fights off those things and protects those children and does justice and places them in a better place in life because that's what Jesus did for us. He stepped down off the throne of God and stood between the gates of hell and our relationship with God and made up the difference in between. How much did Jesus love us? We used to do this with our kids all the time. How much do, how much do you love me? Yeah, as much. This is how much Jesus loves you. He came to prove it. He stood here on planet earth in the, dust, in the dust, in the dirt, took off his robe, took off his crown, and came down here and looked you in the eyeballs and said, man, I love you, and I care about you, and I'm going to prove it to you because I'm doing what it takes. I'm not just doing something that looks like it's a movement. I'm not just tweeting something because I feel strongly about it. I'm proving it. And he gave his life and his blood, and he died and went to the grave and suffered the torment of hell because he loved you that much, and he was willing to prove it. Well, now it's our turn. He wants us to step up. You know, posting a post on Facebook is good. That brings awareness to the plight of children around the world. We need a little more than that. I'm asking you today to join us and help us to do more than that. And this is how we do it in 42 countries. This is how we went from feeding 10 kids to rescuing whole communities in 42 countries around the world because I gave this talk and the other directors and missionaries like myself gave this talk to you and asked God's Spirit to move in your lives and move in your hearts to, to, to challenge you and invite you to join us financially, physically, emotionally, prayerfully, in all regards. Pray, give, and go so that we can save these kids from traffickers who would enslave them, abuse them, and then kill them within two years of their induction. Watch this. This is script. This is Bible. This isn't, our, this isn't our constitution and bylaws I'm reading. This is the Bible. This is God's Word 
commending, commanding his children to be involved in active rescue of people who are suffering. Watch this. Psalm 82, verse number 3. What's the first word? Defend. You know what, you know what defend means? Defend means there's an attack. How do you defend from an attack? You have to get in a fight. If somebody is attacking and destroying and killing and using and exploiting children, how do you stop that attack? You physically have to get between the attacker and, and the children who are vulnerable and don't have any defense for themselves. So defend means you have to step into the attack. Defend is the first word. Defend the poor and fatherless. Watch this, the next action verb. Do justice. That means fend off the attack by defending them and then make it right in the lives of the attacker, right? Prosecution, right? Penalties, fines, right? Prosecution and repairing the damage on the other side. That's justice. Justice full balance is prosecuting those who have committed the crime and making right and restoring the lives of those who have been damaged. So these are action verbs that God wants us to be involved with, those who were poor and needy and fatherless. Defend the poor, do justice to the afflicted and needy, and then deliver the poor and needy. Deliver means take them out of the harmful situation and place them into another safe haven situation where they will no longer be attacked and they can thrive and find hope for the future here on earth and in our program in eternity because they're exposed to the gospel as well. So defend, do justice, deliver the poor and needy, and rid them out of the hand of the wicked. So we build homes. What's the first organization that, that God ever made on planet Earth? Family. Family. Mom and dad. The first and best organization that God ever made for raising children who will understand what God the Father is all about and then duplicate that in the lives of, of their family and their children. The best situation for that is family. A Christian mom and a dad that love God, that demonstrate that to other people and raise their children in that environment, and then they repeat it over and over and over logarithmically, and we can eliminate generational poverty and the status of orphan in whole communities by just introducing the concept of biblical family. So that's what we do. I got a phone call. We were in Ukraine. This is how we all got started with, with Manna Worldwide. A lady called me and said, Sean, would you drive me to the graduation ceremony? Listen to these words. Remember I said words mean things. And this struck me. This stopped me in my tracks. This lady said, would you drive us to the graduation ceremony for an orphanage? in northern Ukraine, in a little town called Komarovka, or Komarivka in Ukrainian. It means mosquito town. I thought that was pretty funny. I didn't want to go to mosquito town. 
not only because there might be mosquitoes there, but I just didn't have time for that. That's not why I was there. I was a church planter. I was working in church growth. I was helping spiritual leaders to grow churches. That's what we were there for. And this lady just needed a ride. We're talking about four hours just driving and then, you know, another six or eight hours up there with the kids and doing whatever. I said, listen, I, I really don't have time for what we're talking about. Um, and I don't have anything to offer I don't know anything about orphans or the old Soviet orphanage systems. I don't know anything about this stuff. She said, relax, man. I just want to ride. I said, okay, I can do that. So I agreed. And I drove her up there to Komarivka. And we got out of our van. And about 150 little kids came running up to our van to see what the American looked like. And boy, were they disappointed. But listen, here's what happened that day. I started asking those kids, because I looked around at those facilities and this place way out in the middle of nowhere, and it was designed that way on purpose so nobody would ever see it. That's what the Soviets did. And by the way, that's what the Soviets will always do, is destroy lives. And they're still doing it today. Don't think communism fell when Reagan said, Gorbachev, tear that wall down. Communism is alive and well, and it is thriving and destroying people's lives today. And there are several big actors in Eastern Europe and in South America that are doing that right now, destroying people's lives because they don't believe in freedom. We believe in freedom, freedom spiritually and physically. So I got out of my van and started looking around and looked how these kids were dressed and looked at what they were eating and looked at their facilities, and I noticed a couple of things. Uh, they don't have the right clothes on for this environment. This is Quebec, Canada. Well, you thought it was cold today. Now, this is the latitude of Quebec, Canada. So wintertime is long and dark and hard. And there's snow everywhere for about eight months out of the year. And these kids are running around with not enough clothes on. The buildings are all falling apart. There's 150 kids on a 12-acre facility with no running water, no toilets that work, no showers, no hot water, no furnaces, no heat in these buildings. And I was crushed and at the same time cried out to God and said, forgive me and thank you for bringing me here all at the same time. And I said, I don't know what I can do. This problem is so big, but God, you have to help us. I know now why you brought us here because these children are suffering and we must do what we can. It may not be enough to save all the kids in the whole country, but we must do what we can with what knowledge we have and resources. So we started. Our first impression was these kids have a humanitarian crisis. And they did. And they still do. But remember the words graduation ceremony for an orphanage? This whole time while I was up there really, really broken by this humanitarian crisis that was going on, the other half of my brain was trying to figure out how a child can grow up in an orphanage their entire lives, never experience the love of a mom and a dad and a normal God-fearing family, and then exit that facility, that institution, with all that institutional mindset, go here, do this, wear this, stand in line there, and they don't even know how to make one single choice for themselves. And those children walking down the street, not at 18, but at 16 years old, and walking down the street absolutely by themselves with nobody to support them, nobody to help them, no government programs, they're on their own. 
So graduation day for us is pretty happy. It's the start, right? We accomplish great things, and you hear all these speeches and valedictorians, and it's a happy day, and we have a life full of opportunity and hope. Not for these kids. They put on their best clothes, and they have this ceremony, and every one of them are saying, I've seen a hundred of them. A hundred or more of these ceremonies where these children will stand there, and they're just bawling. Because they know their life is over. Graduation day to death and hell. This is what I've got waiting for me. I walk out of this facility, I'm a dead man. Because on top of all of the vulnerability, the exposure to the elements and the exposure, they're going to have to go live on the street. They're going to have to live with a friend somewhere. If they, they don't have any family, they're just going to have to scrap and try to figure out how to survive. On top of all of that, these vile human beings pray like vultures on those children when they come out of those orphanages on graduation day and they're waiting for them in the village square, offer them opportunities. You're a beautiful young lady. You could probably be a model. You know, why don't you come and meet with our agent? He'll help you put a portfolio together, and we'll take you to Europe where you can start learning how to be a career model on the modeling circuit in Europe or maybe even the United States. You're a strong young man. Look at those hands. You've been working, haven't you? We'll teach you how to be a construction engineer or a, a general contractor. Why don't you come with us, and we'll put you in some of the finest European construction and engineering schools, and you will have a career. Why don't you get out of this place? Let us, let us help you. And when they get in those vehicles, their life is over. And in two years, they're dead because they use their little bodies up. There's nothing left emotionally. There's no spirit left. They've broken them down and abused them. We can in mixed company and with the children in the room talk about the things that they do to these kids. Trust me, it's worse than any nightmare you've ever had. And they use them up. And they go back on graduation day every year. They go to the street where these kids live. They even pay the orphanage directors to deliver the children to them. And when the children are arrested for doing the work that they force them to do on the street, they pay bail, and the jail system releases them back into the care of the traffickers. And they use them up until they're dead. And they go back and they get some more. More than 300,000 children last year were used in this way just in the country of Ukraine. Doesn't even include the rest of Eastern Europe or the former Soviet Union. <laughs> Since the war with Russia began, there are more than 1 million children who are in this category of the highest risk levels for human trafficking in the entire world. There are more refugees in the country of Ukraine right now because of the war than in the country of Somalia. It's a, it's a dark and quiet situation. You don't hear a lot about it, but it's created a refugee crisis the likes of, that we haven't seen in, in a long, long time in many places in the world. Most of those are children, more than a million children at risk. 120,000 were living on the street, Another 130,000 in the state-run orphanages now with 700,000 children being forced out of their homes in the east and in Crimea. They're all over the country, and the traffickers are having a heyday, picking them like fish out of a barrel. We need your help. Because of the war, we started um, 
we moved our youth camps from Crimea down in, in the Black Sea out to the Carpathian Mountains. And uh, now we have a facility out there. We bought a facility, a big house that serves um, as an income center. It's a resort and a conference center that serves to generate an income so that we can begin to build the camp and the family home across the street. Let's watch that little video, um, guys, uh, that has Willow Park. Uh, I did a little presentation for the Rotary Club down in Houston, and they asked me to put this together for them. I'm not a video guy, so just forgive me in advance. But the information is there anyway. And this, as you look down by your side and you pick up that card that the pastor was talking about, this little commitment card there, I want you to consider and hold that in your hand and beg God to lead you to do what he would have you to do today to help us with the Willow Park camp situation. On that facility is a piece of property that has been purchased. We have the title deed to it, and on that property will be will be a, a house that's built. You'll see a picture here in just a minute called the Friendship House. It's inside the Willow, camp, Willow Park Camp uh, facility, and uh, we'll show you that in just a minute. But hold that card, look over it briefly, and ask God to help you to decide what you can do today. Listen, everybody in the room today, everybody in the room today can do something. And we should do what God leads us to do. Do what you can and do what God leads you to do today. And we're asking you to consider prayerfully giving above and beyond the tithe and offering. Please don't divert funds from one project to another. And don't give anything to this program through your local church, through Cornerstone. It's not going to Manna. We're helping you develop your program, uh, the Willow Park Camp and Friendship House. Don't send anything to our office. There's an address on that card. Ignore that. We want you to write your check and put on the memo line, Cornerstone Baptist Church, Decatur, Texas. And on the envelopes, the same thing. And in the memo line, put Willow Park, Camp Willow Park. All right? More than 90%, matter of fact, for the last 16 years, 94% of everything that comes in goes directly to those kids. We have very, very low overhead. It's unheard of in the nonprofit community. The way that we do that is threefold. I don't take a salary. None of the directors like myself take a salary. We're missionaries. We have to raise our support and work businesses outside so that we support ourselves outside of the organization. So what we're talking about today, none of that goes to me. None of that goes to the directors. That goes directly to the children. Um, the other way that we're able to do that is we work with uh, established missionaries and national pastors on the field that don't require administrative salaries. So we're not sending money overseas, and then some of it goes to the kids and some of it goes to pay salaries. We don't do that, All right? All of it goes to the kids. And the third way that we keep our overhead that low is you going to the field with us with volunteer labor to serve and to build and to love those kids and learn their names and their life stories and then come back with a heart full of what it is that God's doing through you and through your church and telling that story to others and keeping the show going. That's how we do that. So think about what you can do today. Think about what God is leading you to do today. The pastor will come in a few minutes. We're going to show you some pictures and show you this video uh, of what we're talking about. Um, but just, uh, just do what you can today.